Hello, and welcome to episode 71 of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom, and I'll be joined in a second by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond, as we always have been. But um, we've been on a break. If you regularly listen, then you will know that, that we've not been recording for about almost six months. But we're back with this special episode. And in it, we are going to be interviewing two fantastic guests. First, we have Kathy Loizu. She is the co-founder and director of the Children's Media Conference, which is coming up in Sheffield in just a week or so's time. Might even have started by the time you're listening to this. And we're also joined by Alex Amsel, who is an award-winning game developer and blockchain expert. And when you get to his interview, you're going to be able to listen to probably the best description of NFTs and how they work that I've heard yet. So that's it. I'll be back later, right at the end of this conversation, to tell you how to subscribe. But I think that's it. I shall pass you over to Mel. So, Kathy, it's brilliant to have you with us. Um, but just in case there's anyone listening who doesn't know about the Children's Media Conference, can you give us a, a quick what it is and how it came about, please? Yes, sure. Thank you, Mel. Yes. Well, um, the Children's Media Conference in real life. So when we were having, a, you know, a gathering in Sheffield, it's a meeting place. It's a it's an industry conference, like lots of industry conference. But for people working in children's media, such as the BBC, ITV, Disney, Ardman, Nickelodeon, really all the stuff that you would see on your um, EPG. And then all the people that make all the shows and programmes, all the producers, plus all the people who make the apps that go with all the programmes, plus all the people that make the websites and the games and all the kind of attending uh, platforms that come with children's media and also people who work in the education field as well so for example um, somebody from Twinkle is on our advisory board and we do have um, you know sessions about education you know ed tech and, and things like that in real life um, about a hundred about a thousand two hundred delegates come to Sheffield every July um, a quick way of saying it's like a doc fest for kids I guess you know it came about, how did it come about? Well, to begin with, I am a serial conference and festival organiser. I really just like bringing people together to talk about things of interest. So for me, it's it's the two sides of it, really. It's bringing people together, but it's also it's the things of interest. So I, I'd be, I had been invited to run the Dot Fest uh, at the very beginning, pretty much, of the Dot Fest origins because that was my background in my professional background was in event management and festival management um and then like a lot of things with business I find I found that the sort of the personal becomes a business interest doesn't it um because I had had a young son <laughs> um and this actually just piqued my interest in creative content for children so I sort of took all my experience of management in the event sphere into this particular genre and that's kind of how it first came about and then I kind of got other people to join me in this kind of quest and just to say quickly that we are also the CMC is also a trade challenge partner for the Department of Investment and Trade which is a government department and we take a lot of UK children's companies to various markets around the world um, one of which is Kids Screen in America, which in, which would normally um, make about fifty million 
pounds each year, each market for the UK export economy. So we have an impact, you know, nationally and internationally. Didn't you start as a children's film festival? Wasn't that the... Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So I went from the Dot Fest to a children's film festival, which was for children and families. Um, It wasn't an industry event at all. And it was called Chocomotion, which some people might remember. And out of that, we span we spun the um, Shokomotion Children's Media Conference. And then for various reasons, uh, mainly funding, uh, which is often the case, isn't it? That um, things ebb and fall during, you know, following a sort of funding changes, you know, the children's, the actual children's festival part couldn't get funding. And so we then, you know, kind of maintained the the industry side and sort of spun that out into its own company but in a sort of version of retrofitting playground which is our project for children and families has now been spun out of the children's media conference i could talk about playground later but yeah yeah right, yeah so how long ago was that when did when was show commotion and when did the... um so show commotion had started about 2000 i think in that region i took it over about 2002 and we so show commotion the children's film festival stopped at 2010 ish and the children's media conference as a new company and a new standalone entity um was in was set up 2010 so yeah um and we like we've you know and grown massively in that time yeah yeah even despite a pandemic yes i mean that's that's been in, that's really been interesting we very quickly made the decision to go online i think a lot of other i think festivals particularly got themselves into a bit of a tangle in my opinion you know a lot of the big markets and the big festivals really really did not want to go online and a lot of them were kind of caught up in that and i think impacted on their on their activities in in the last sort of 18 months I'm just you know I'm talking about sort of the Berlin Film Festival the big media conferences in Cannes they they just kind of really I don't think really understood really what was really going on but we decided very quickly we decided in March that we were going to be online mm-hmm. which actually was not only did it turn out to be the right idea practically but mentally healthily wise was a brilliant a brilliant I mean thank god we did that because it meant that we knew what we were doing. We didn't spend very long debating what we were going to do. We just said, look, let's just do it. And once we, once you have a plan, especially event managers, we really love a plan. We really, we're really conditioned to kind of, you know, anyone in production, you need an end point, don't you, in your production. That's mm-hmm. why you're involved in the thing that you're involved in, because you are a person that needs to know what you're supposed to be doing. And once we decided that, you know, we didn't really have... It was work, of course it was work, and it was new work, and it was actually quite interesting, you know, lots of looking at platforms, lots of talking to people, lots of getting advice in fields that we haven't really explored, to be honest with you. You're running the conference virtually again for the, yes. for the second time, so you did it last year, yes. you it again this year. Do you think you'll carry on doing it virtually, or do you see some sort of hybrid future for the conference i think this is the challenge upcoming challenge for all event managers and not just event managers festival managers conference managers and tourism as well 
I think this is the 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 upcoming thing that we have to work our way around to resolving because there are many people now because of either their own underlying health issue or because they're shielding a family member who cannot now go to events and with travel bans you know you can't go to the aforementioned Berlin Film Festival or South by Southwest or these places mm -hmm. you know and so how do these so there's two things here how do the events themselves sustain themselves but also people are going to these activities because of their business so just because you might have an underlying health condition or your family member might do doesn't mean that you're no longer economically active you've got to you've got to be in the field you've got to be in the market and um you, you know you've got to still want to meet commissioners or buyers or you know talent how are you going to meet new talent so the hybrid challenge is the thing that's coming up i've actually applied to a fund which hopefully might give us some development money to try and make our online platform both and our live stream which is what we hope will our sorry not our live stream our live live events which we hope will happen next year in part. The challenge is to make them both on the same platform, mm. i.e. on the same level, that one is not privileged over the other. Mm. You know, that, and that I think is going to be the thing, you know, how do you make the person who still has business to do online feel that they're getting the exact same opportunity to meet, in our case, commissioners and buyers from the big broadcasters, as well as people meeting that person in the bar? Yeah, because yeah, it, it you know. it's not it's unlikely to go back to exactly as it was, not just not just because of COVID, but also because of the way that the airline industry is likely to rebound or not rebound fully because of you know climate mitigation and and people's carbon consciousness and not willing, you know the now we've established these other ways of working and we've established that you know we actually do have enough bandwidth to be able to have good conversations with each other and involve lots of people and you know video conferencing is in a completely different state than it was just two years ago really i think a lot of people are going to would, would you know would rather forego the travel and engage online and if you can create platforms that that make that engagement as valuable and they get to do the same things that they can justify to their bosses by not having to travel i think that's probably what we're going to see isn't it and then the, the offer for people who do travel then also needs to be something that rewards them for actually making the effort to, to, to visit the, the conference in person, doesn't it? Chris, I think you're absolutely right. There is less of an appetite for these huge gatherings that are going to take up a lot of flying to and from places. You know, even just, you know, how you run and how you manage an event has been revolutionized by online meeting technology. You know, we have an advisory committee made, of, made up of members all around the country. We would meet in London once a month. Now we don't have to, and we have far higher attendance because people can just log in, you know, um, and, uh, you know, engage meaningfully. I think this is the thing, isn't it? How can you engage meaningfully when you're online, when there are things happening in real life. And I think that is going, that is 
the technical and the psychological challenge of next year and and going forward i think it is you know this is now the the way forward and how we actually construct an event that has benefit on all to all of the parties involved is our ongoing thinking process and we've already started to think i mean i'd already thought that there, we wouldn't have been online in this year anyway at the beginning i didn't think that that you know um We'd still be here that i thought we would sort of still be here and i but i'm not I, i'm thinking maybe next year there might be a manifestation of of um of in real life potentially you know depending on obviously is things that we don't know i mean also i think venues you know are going to still be constrained by capacity aren't they so if you've got a thousand delegates where are they going to go yeah yeah so kathy just thinking about this year's conference why might people in our audience so you know digital industry people why might they want to check it out maybe come along to some sessions what sort of things are going on that could interest them well i think i mean i personally believe it it is important to look up and look out and think about what use is digital technology being put to i'm not going to say to someone working in bitcoin yes come to the cmc and you'll make lots of business because you won't you know and you know, whilst the whilst the media industries are affluent in normal terms, you know they don't they can't really compete with a full on digital, the digital economy as such. But you know, in the end, you you've got if you want to keep ahead of what's going on, what's coming up, you know, what might your digital technology be useful for mm. in the upcoming time? You need to find out about that you know if you if you if you're you know yes just stick to what you're doing and put your head down but you will always then be behind the curve in my that's just in in my opinion i, I can i can maybe as a as a punter <laughs> yes. um <laughs> i've been to the cmc several times and i'm hoping to go this year um for me the thing that i love about it most uh, are, are the research sessions so you know I, i'm sure this is happening online as well but you know previously i take at least one day where i would just sit in a in one of the cinemas in the, sh at the showroom and i just have people present research at me for a whole day every half hour there's you know and it, it's it's you know research from ofcom or it's independent researchers it's research on how people are using voice technologies how they're you know how screen time is evolving how kids are uh, dual screening what tools they're using how this is kind of distributed across our population in the UK in home nations across Europe and the rest of the world it, it's fascinating stuff as a, as a grounding in what's going on in tech and in digital in terms of how people are using devices and what the trends are and what works and what doesn't work and what and you know all of this stuff I've I've always found it really really useful really fascinating and I'm able to use it when I when I teach digital design at Hallam you know, there are examples when I talk to businesses about things that they could try. Yeah, it's it's really useful. I find it really useful for that. And obviously, there's, there's really interesting sessions, but that that to me is the is the great value of it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. That's um that is a really good pricey. And if I might do, I might use that in myself in the future. As a, <laughs> do you want a quote? <laughs> quote? Yes, yes. And um, 
you know, um, just to remind everyone that Sheffield Digital members can get a discount ticket. If you go to the Sheffield Digital website, you can uh, see how to get that, how to get a discount code. Yeah, I think kind of just to echo Chris's great promotional statement there, um, you know, if you if you read the news, you'll know that there's going to there's much discussion about online harms bill coming up, which is absolutely mm. central to the digital arena. If you don't want to be totally surprised by that, <laughs> you know, you need to come to something or somewhere like the CMC because online harms will have been talked about for many years. Yeah. If you, I mean, you might have heard about the the ban on um, high fat. Uh, high salt, high sugar products before nine o'clock now, before nine o'clock uh, on terrestrial television, or what we used to call terrestrial television. That ha- that had happened, you know, a decade ago for children. So, you know, we know all about that. That We're talking about that all the time before it happens. I mean, I think the next, the next thing, which I would, if I were in gaming, I'd be really looking at the links between gaming and gambling kids gaming and what they call there's you know research going on about gaming being grooming for gambling mm, loot boxes etc yeah loot boxes and 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 just the gameplay itself being a kind of <laughs> a gamblification if you like and there's lots and lots of concern about gambling um you know obviously during the euros all the so they're still promoting betting during football so much of football you know has been overtaken by gambling you know it's like do you remember snooker was always overtaken by smoking it's like the gambling is the smoking of 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 football this is not going to go away i mean yuki might have dampened it down I would say, ga- gaming for children. But I mean, I don't know whether everyone's aware of the Gambling With Lives campaign run by people based in Sheffield. You know, they've got a lot to say about gamblification of, 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 of games. And I think this is gonna, this is not gonna go away. So if you wanna hear about these sorts of things. So they came to speak to the CMC and the Gambling With Lives group came to speak to the CMC in 2019. So if you want to hear about these things before they come and bite you, then you come to the CMC. <laughs> so talking of talking of gaming, can I just draw everyone's attention to Playground, which is back in real life this year at the Site Gallery, 1st to 11th July. You have to book because of COVID regulations, so you can book via the Site Gallery. And um, it's basically we've invited cutting-edge top, top international artists um, to come to Sheffield to show their work. And we're inviting children, families, school groups, teachers, everyone to come along and take part. And it's a really good way. I mean, it's fun. And, you know, I'm sure Chris will testify to this because I know he's been a number of times. It's good mm. fun. But it's also great for showing children and their parents and their carers and their families that, one, you can have a job in the creative arts in digital that 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 digital is not just coding it is actually a form of you can it is a form of creative expression and creativity and there's lots you can do with a technical um with technical and digital experience so that would be my 
my kind of final promo. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, actually, my, my son was in tears this morning when he realised that he's not going to be able to make it to the opening of oh, no. Playground next Friday. Yeah, his grandparents are taking him away to centre parks for the weekend. And that's all been planned. And we didn't realise it clashed. And he lit, when, I, when, I, when I said, oh, it turns out you're not going to be able to come to Playground next Friday. He just burst out crying. Oh. <laughs> He's looking forward to it so much. Oh, Playground versus Centre Parks. Yeah, I know. Well, we'll, we'll come next week, obviously, the week after, yeah. obviously. We'll, uh, we'll come on weekday evening. But, um, but yeah, it, it, I think it surprised him a little bit. <laughs> he got very emotional about it. Oh, oh, but I mean, it's good to show that he's like in the Sheffield tradition of like being very interested in the drinks and nibbles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is fun, and, and I think yeah, both both of my kids love going because it's so varied. You never know what what's going to be there, and there's all sorts of bizarre things to uh, to interact with and play around with. So it's always good fun. Good. Great. Thank you, Kathy. That was uh, that was great. Um, Alex, we're going to move on to to you. Uh, before we uh, ask you our first question, uh, which is in our document and to quote what the heck has just happened over the last month uh, to you, maybe if we get a bit of your background, a bit of a potted history, who you are, all that kind of thing, that'd be great. Uh, um, yeah, so my background is actually as a game developer. Uh, so I ran a, a small game studio in Sheffield since about 1996. And then we, we sort of finished around 2010, 2011 and moved to just making some small independent games. And uh, yeah, just through that time, we worked on all kinds of different gaming platforms from, from sort of the original Amiga back in the 16-bit days through to Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, loads of mobile games, and just a, a whole a whole ton of things. And then we moved into doing um, indie games, and we did a, a game which was an Apple Award winner called Euphoria, which is uh, like Asteroids meets Fluffy Seed Death. It's just <laughs> how it was described by like, a, a Japanese journalist, something like that. And that did really well. And that also got an email from some random person who said, can I please buy it with Bitcoin? And uh, I went, oh, okay, I've heard of this Bitcoin thing. I, I at one point had nearly had our studio mining Bitcoins <laughs> in the very early days of Bitcoin, and I just didn't get around to it, which is very silly now. Um, but I did look into it. This was in 2012, late 2012. And um, I was kind of intellectually fascinated. I also learned a lot about trading and stuff. And I went down that rabbit hole. And I've been down there ever since. So that was back in 2012, 2013. So games through to Bitcoin, through to just blockchain technology and NFTs, I guess. And you're going to ask me what an NFT is, I'm sure. <laughs> Can you describe an NFT in, in no. layperson's terms? No. no. <laughs> um, you, you did okay. give a talk at TEDx Sheffield years ago, didn't you? On, uh, yeah, so I mean, interestingly, yeah. Interestingly, back in 2014, Chris asked me uh, to do a talk on Bitcoin and sort of blockchain generally at the local TEDx. And it was a really, like, Chris, firstly, it was a really, really good experience. Secondly, I hope everyone who was there is now a millionaire because um, I did say, yeah, this is what you should care about. Um, We're all idiots, but, literally. We are all idiots. But um, more seriously, like the at the time I was, getting increasingly fascinated with what the technology could do. And I was less interested in the pure financial aspect of it, um, especially as it was so up and down anyway. Um, so fun enough, around that time is when I started exploring what became known as NFTs, um, 2014, 2015. And I, then start, I ended up writing about them. I was one of the first people to really write about them and where they could go. I wasn't one of the very first people making them, I have to say. But an NFT 
is essentially just something digital that you own. And that sounds really weird because people think they own uh, like a book they bought for their Kindle or they own a game that they bought on the Apple App Store. But in fact, you don't really own it. You have a license to it. And the company who you buy it from, like the store, so Amazon and Apple and, and the like, they can and frequently have revoked your ownership. Um, so some Kindle owners found that when a license expired, they lost access to a book um, that they thought they had owned and they could no longer get it anymore. And this, this still happens quite regularly uh, on game stores and bookstores and so on. The difference with an NFT is that um, that bit of ownership, the fact that you own the book, um, that is stored on what we call a decentralized network. So it's no longer Apple or Google. It's a platform that is actually, uh, it's distributed across the world. And, and that platform is looked after by a myriad of different people. Every, every technology is different, but it's, in the end, it's a myriad of different people and they can't arbitrarily revoke your ownership. And it also means that anyone can make use of the fact that you own something. So no longer do only Apple know that you own the game or do Amazon, are Amazon the only ones who know you own that particular piece of music or that book, but you can prove to anyone anywhere. So in principle, I could buy an NFT that's actually art or music or a game item. And I could prove that to Spotify, to YouTube and to Apple. So I could prove it to everyone. And that's one of the key differences. Um, Ian, did you have a question? What, what was the question? What the heck happened <laughs> in the last month? <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so yeah, so the point, important thing about NFTs before we go on to what happened, not just this month or last month, but this year, mm. um, NFTs are, they're just something digital that you own and that item can be anything. It could be music, it could be artwork, it could be a game, it can be a ticket, uh, it can be a VIP pass. And in fact, it can be all of the above, which is really important. It's not just one thing, it's, it can be many things. There are even NFTs that represent insurance uh, and they get bought, these NFTs can be free, generally can be freely bought and sold on various different marketplaces. So they have this kind of real fluid market around them, which is important for what we're going, on to, going to go on to with art NFTs. They can actually reflect ownership of something physical. Um, I should have grabbed it before, but I do actually have some physical artworks where I bought an NFT, a digital thing, and I also got a sense of physical implementation of that artwork. So that's interesting. And are those two things connected as the physical thing inextricably connected to the NFT? What, one of them has an inextricable link. In fact, I've got a couple of things that have an inextricable link. Like there's a, there's a code with the item itself. Like a, it's like a QR code or strip. Mm -hmm. um, and that does, you know, if I ever sold the NFT, someone might also expect the physical item and vice versa. Because it's, it acts as a certificate of authenticity if, they, if they're intrinsically linked. Mm -hmm. um, the other important thing about NFTs, and again, this is important for what on earth happened, uh, is you do actually, you have a full history of prov a full provenance on it. So you know who created it, give or take, when they created it, and how many there are. Now we're going to talk about art NFTs here, because art NFTs this year have become very, very famous, and have become popular, and there was a massive boom in them earlier this year. And one of the reasons for that was that if, if an artist created a digital artwork let's say any time before people started using NFTs. And NFTs have been around since 2014, I should say. They just weren't known by right. most people. Oh, was it if a you standardization issue though? I mean, were they around, but there wasn't a big enough and accepted network of them that people trusted enough to be able so to- they, they, So the first one was an artwork that actually I have just bought uh, called Quantum. And that was issued in April, 2014. That's the first and, one. Yeah. 
you own the and first the first nft artwork it's the first crypto art nft let's say i'm still discussing what exactly what the first nft was okay they have been around in some form since then and they've been, they've been around in various different implementations and some of us were trading nfts quite you know quite in quite high volumes even a couple of years ago but the they weren't known to the public and the crypto audience is very small so you know there's only a limited audience to reach and so why have they become popular funnily enough that's because of covid uh, the technology has been evolving and it is still far from ready i have to say there's all sorts of things that still need to be resolved and fixed but because of covid um, it just seemed to be the right time for something to just hit in people had a bit of money to spend or some people had a bit of money to spend partly because of certain things happening in crypto and partly in the real world people do like to speculate and gamble as kathy alluded to earlier with gaming there is a, there is an aspect of that for sure but also um there were just a few a couple of big big artists that suddenly managed to hit in it was just the confluence of different factors and we got a uh, essentially a, a mini boom back in march i would guess this year um, which is now calming down and now we're going back into a phase of of like creativity and technological development which will last between one and three years so weirdly enough this nft boom that everyone's heard about and they've seen celebrities minting their own nfts this is actually is very similar in terms of how it's panned out as crypto and bitcoin originally where you get these booms and then these busts and these booms and these busts as the technology evolves as people get used to using them and the nfts will be no different but going back to why these nfts are powerful if a celebrity decided to mint an nft as paris hilton and many others have done you do actually know that the celebrity did make it in theory and you know how many were made and you are free to prove ownership and to sell them and previously that in, in the digital world at least has been extremely difficult digital artists it's not a, you know definitely not all of whom are on board with this and i massively disagree with them but they don't they're not all on board with this and let's be clear about that previously for a digital artist to sell their work it was actually very very difficult it's very very difficult to value digital artwork and so most digital artists took on commissioned work from marketing companies agencies that type of work that was how they made a living what nfts allow you to do uh, through for a number of reasons it's it's allowed digital artists across the world um you know, it's removed a lot of barriers which are really really have been really problematic for many many artists in the philippines and south africa and you know parts of asia and stuff they've been out able to find an audience to sell to directly who then value that work now ignoring some of the valuations that get a bit crazy including some stuff that i've you know that i've traded that's that's a hugely uh, valuable marketplace especially as they can all, they're earning royalties which is unusual in the art world and they're not having to pay out anything significant in terms of cuts to marketplaces which is also extremely unusual in the physical art world so suddenly like an artist that i know he would traditionally find it very difficult to find the right place to sell his artwork the gallery might take 50 percent agent fees legal fees other fees might end up taking another 20 or 30 percent then he gets left with between 20 and 40 percent of the funds if he's managed to do a sale now we can sell some of that same work as digital he has an audience of buyers including other artists actually where he's only losing a few percent literally just like five percent or less to the platform fees he can sell all over the world and communicate directly with his own community of people who now can speak to him as an artist easily he does sell some physical artwork still including to some of those buyers and can even sell the nfts with physical artwork and he's earning you know he gets a royalty check i mean it's automatic so it's not literal check and so when he hears about artists who really don't like this 
he's like, yeah, it's terrible. Like, I don't have anyone taking a cut anymore. Uh, I can sell direct. I've got in my own community I can sell to. I can still sell my physical artwork and I can sell digital, which I could never sell before. He's made, he and many others have made far more than they ever made as traditional artists. And that extends worldwide. So those barriers that I've seen frustratingly for me, say US artists complain about NFTs from their lovely position of privilege where they can go to the gallery and sell to some rich person locally. Well, I, I deal with lots of artists who are in the Philippines or Brazil or whatever it happens to be. They didn't have this option before. They didn't have that privilege. And now they can sell direct. It's still hard for them. They still have to market themselves. But the NFT is basically created a digital marketplace for artwork that never existed before and that will persist indefinitely into the future. The exact shape, I don't know. There's still lots of work to do. But that's that's the key thing that I think is important about sort of the digital art NFT marketplace in that, in that area. And that, that's what's been fascinating me this year. So I guess part of that is also that there's now platforms where you can, where artists can present their work and they can engage with their audience. So there are third party platforms still, but they do the job of the whole ecosystem of, of galleries and, and agents and promoters and, and things yeah. that exist in the real world. You have agents, like agents have been trying to get involved in this because of the money involved. Most of them don't really understand it because it's new and difficult. So you do still have those, you still have those entities wanting to get in the way and, and sort of create these mm. barriers. So it's not going to get rid of everything because nothing ever does. You always end up with gatekeepers and connected people of some kind. There's always someone there who is an influencer or a platform everyone wants to be on. So we still have that, but it's a whole lot less than there was before, let's say. And in the end, you don't have to use any of those things. You can sell, you can even create a website, market yourself and sell direct and lose nothing. And there are artists that have done that quite successfully. Uh, so you, you get, to get a little bit of a mix. The other important thing is that although there might be multiple marketplaces and the equivalent of galleries, generally speaking, they're all sitting on, on top of this, what I call a decentralized layer. Mm. So you might buy something from like the equivalent of Tesco's, let's say, but you can sell it on the, at the equivalent of Sainsbury's or eBay. So they're all, they're all compatible. So actually all they're really doing is they're acting as a portal to try and attract an audience to sell work to or work for people to resell. But you can move your, you can mint your artwork over here or you can buy your artwork over here, but go and sell it over there or prove that you're using it to, again, to a Spotify or Google or anything else. Mm -hmm. So you have, basically you have this massively compatible a massive layer that's completely compatible with all sorts of different projects. Whereas previously, when people have tried to do, for example, digital art to make it valuable, they've been a centralized company. So just one company with a website mm. selling direct and everything of yours is on a database. They never, ever managed to gain any traction. And the reason they didn't get any traction in the end was because you didn't have this confluence of different things and this broad compatibility. And indeed, people with crypto money who, who kickstarted it, absolutely started it. Yeah. You need all these things to come together. And in fact, why should a single platform, whether it's Apple or a new startup, like have control of what artwork I own? Oh, I'm in control of my artwork. You know, the art I own or create, that, that's mine. And what we've done in the digital world so far is we've given way, way, way too much power to the middlemen, whether it's an Amazon or Apple, as good a job as they do, and they're very good at what they do, they have far too much power over both the creators uh, and over the owners. And what we need to do is let them have let them have the power with stuff they're good at, i.e. how to sell, how to market, not over the actual creation and intellectual property. 
Alex, you've done an amazing job of explaining all of that. I think it's the first time I've actually been able to get my head around what the implications are for, you know, blockchain and, and NFTs. The thing that we see a lot about in the news at the moment is the sustainability issues and the carbon footprint of all of this technology. Um, how, how would you address those challenges? So unfortunately, because this technology is actually really, really complicated, um, it's not anywhere near as simple as people are making out the story to be. And it frustrates me that, you know, sometimes I've said to people, look, it's complicated and you have to dive in and understand the technology. And they go, oh, you're just trying to confuse us with words. No, I'm trying to tell you, you know, you don't tell a physicist how to do physics and blockchain tech, you have, you, there is no choice. You have to get in and understand it. However, there are discussion points that are valid and some that are not valid. And actually, when I've looked into it, I really just used to bash the, the very idea of NFTs. And that comes from people who just are not embracing where technology is going. And that's fine. That's up to them. What is valid is that there is a way that these decentralized systems can work that uses up a large amount of energy because essentially it uses energy as, as, a, as, a, as fuel. I just call it fuel. Only the old, of the important ones, only the old uh, decentralized technologies use this system. So the oldest is Bitcoin. Bitcoin uses energy as fuel. It uses a lot of it. And despite what a lot of Bitcoiners will tell you about it's using renewables, blah, 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 it's, it's a bad thing. There is a very good reason why it uses energy as fuel, but that reason becomes less and less valid over time because we now have alternatives. They just need a bit more time to prove themselves. That's the reality. So Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. NFTs are not on Bitcoin, so it's not actually relevant to the NFT argument. But Bitstuff, I have said for a while now, it really is going to have to find a way to stop using energy as the way it operates. It is not a requirement for how it operates if you want to, if you change things. It's not fundamental to blockchains or NFTs. It's an artifact of a, a design that was done like over 10 years ago. That's all it is. Um, and whether it uses renewables or not is irrelevant because renewables still have an energy cost. And they're still moving, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul in a sense. Mm. If you're using the renewables, someone else has got to use something else. I was going to say, what, what, what's the what's the blockchain that's being used by NFTs? Is it Ethereum? Is that the platform? NFTs are on multiple blockchains. Ethereum is just the most common one. Okay. And so Tezos and Flow uh, and Wax are two other, sorry, three other blockchains that NFTs are common on, and there are more as well. None of those three use energy as fuel, so it's it's, an, it's just a non-issue. Ethereum does use energy as fuel because it's old. It's an old blockchain. However, Ethereum has been planning to move to, it's something we call proof of stake. It doesn't really matter what it is, but the system Ethereum is moving to, it's going to be early next year. And it's been in the works for about three years so far, because it's very, very complicated to do. Um, Ethereum will not be using energy as fuel from early next year or sometime next year. So the problem that people refer to when they're, they're only referring to Ethereum, not at all NFTs, Mm -hmm. And they're referring to something that is a very short-term problem. And moreover, what they say is like the criti criticisms of this, along the long lines of your NFT, if you're minting it, is using as much energy as a person uses in 10 years or in their lifetime, which is, which if you, anyone stopped to think about that for a second is clearly absolute nonsense. Um, what is true is that the platform that NFTs sit on is using a lot of energy. It, it might cease to be using that next year, but right now it does use a lot of energy. I can understand if an artist is deeply uncomfortable with that. I, I, I still would say they're wrong, but I understand it. But the NFTs themselves do not use energy. If there are no NFTs or almost no NFTs, it's not going to change things because the biggest use of Ethereum by a country mile is not NFTs. 
It's something called decentralized finance. Uh, and that is where really what causes the, the Ethereum price and the energy use and so on. Um, decentralized finance is the biggest use. So an NFT does not use energy. It is just a complete misrepresentation of how the technology works. But the platform does, and that's true. It will not from next year. And actually, I find a lot of the criticisms deeply unfair because most of them just don't understand quite how the system works. Secondly, they're actually criticizing the, the, the one system that is making a huge effort to create the like probably the best alternative to this, which something like Bitcoin will need to move to. So we need to be able to prove this out so that we remove Bitcoin from the equation as well, the energy use equation. And thirdly, as I said, mostly these criticisms, when you dig down to most of the people who are doing the critiquing, if it's not energy, they're criticizing something else. It's just being used as a stick to beat NFTs with. Bearing in mind, you can just make NFTs on Tezos or Flow or whatever and, and not have the issue in the first place. So there are issues to talk about. They are about the industry generally, um, but they're not related to NFTs. And in fact, the NFT platforms, it's going to be completely irrelevant from next year. So Alex, if people wanted to do what you've just suggested, which is like go and learn more and understand more and really get to grips with this, can you suggest some places that people could go to start learning more about this kind of thing? Yeah, it obviously helps if you're a bit technology inclined because it's quite complicated. Um, but weirdly enough, the, the original Bitcoin white paper, which is easily available, the first half of that is quite understandable. If you, I mean, you might have to spend some time with it and you definitely don't need to understand the second half of it, but it, it, does, it does explain how, roughly how these things work. And then if you want to understand what's happened with Ethereum and where Ethereum is going, then the ethereum.org website has all, an awful lot of articles and explanations and there's videos around of what's actually changing there. In fact, one of the misunderstandings a lot of artists have is they think Ethereum is a company. Ethereum is not a company. There is a foundation attached, but Ethereum is a big open source project. And actually, for all manner of reasons, no one wins, uh, no one who's invested in the system wins out of it using energy. And the change from using energy to not using energy as fuel has a huge number of wins. And we're all, we've all been desperate for it for, for like years, not even months. And as some of the criticisms have been, oh, well, you're all making money out of using the energy. No, we're really not. It's costing us money. It's the total opposite. We're desperate not to have this system anymore. Um, so that's how I address those criticisms. But the worst case to me is um, if you're an artist and you are concerned, or you're a buyer and you are concerned, but are interested in NFTs, just avoid Ethereum until early next year, until they make that change. And that, and that yeah, it's, it's a not unreasonable way of approaching it. Just to go back to the first question, what the heck happened last month? <laughs> Are you referring to the CryptoPunk? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm referring to CryptoPunk. Yeah. That was this month, actually. It was, was about it? two weeks ago. Not even that long ago. Yeah. No. Um, so there are an awful lot of uh, different types of NFTs. So we've referred to game NFTs, art NFTs, insurance NFTs even. Um, uh, within the art NFT world, there's all sorts of different types of digital art, arts, including interactive. Interactive is one of the new growing areas, which is really fascinating because we've never had a way to do this before the one that i'm uh, i've generally been interested in is collect digital collectibles so you can kind of think of them as in some ways a bit like pokemon cards or sort of other collection collection cards or you know, people used to collect cigarette you know cigarette um, uh, cards and things like that mm -hmm. digital collectibles come in various forms and probably the first major digital collectible uh, in fact definitely the first major digital collectible certainly on ethereum was something called cryptopunks from a company called Lava Labs, who are actually a game developer, and they made 10,000 portraits based, and they were created using pixel art. 
So a 10,000 pixel art heads. And they're what we call generative art, which is also very popular. So an algorithm generated each of the different characters. So they, so each character is made off of like a face, which has different colors. They might have a mustache, different hairstyles, a hat, VR glasses. Um, there were a few things that were apes instead of humans. And there were even fewer that were called aliens. There were nine aliens, they have blue faces. And I owned one of the aliens, one of the only nine aliens. Now these artworks are, they're not just a piece of art or some silly little collection. Um, they became highly valued. One of the reasons is that there were only 10,000 of them and they were very, very early items on the Ethereum blockchain. And just in the crypto world, people start assigning value to these things. Value is basically what other people think it's worth. It's not, it's not about, people talk about intrinsic value, especially around crypto. And I say, well, you need to define intrinsic and define value. And normally people can do neither. Um, but in reality, people thought they were worth something. They were digitally scarce. And then increasingly people were assigning value to things like the traits of CryptoPunks. So for example, if you had a, what we call a side red, which is a, a female punk with red hair down one side, there were only 30 or 40 of those, so they're quite rare. If you have an alien, there are only nine of those. So that's an extremely rare trait. So they're defined as the most rare. And punks have, a mul have multiple different traits. So uh, something that has seven traits, which I think there's only one actually, that's much more rare than something that has three traits. So people started assigning value and just trading them just like they trade anything. I owned an alien CryptoPunk and I bought it actually this year with the thesis that with NFTs going up in value, uh, punks would go up more in value and the very top punks would go up even more in value. And they've become extremely, they become extremely in demand. And CryptoPunks, because they're portraits and because they're, they're pixel art, they're also used as avatars. So you can use that image on Twitter, on any other social media, uh, on Instagram, and that's what people do. And it, people assign a value to the fact that that's your avatar. It becomes part of your personality. And I saw that people were starting, were really starting to do this. And like that has a lot of value in a world where people, where people, especially children, are living digitally and are very comfortable in the digital domain. And on top of that, I also saw that there were projects that were starting to reward people who are punk owners because if you see that someone owns a crypto punk, and they were heading towards like five, ten, twenty thousand dollars at the time for the lowest value punk. And there were 10,000, remember. People know that you have some money to spend. So they, they, they think you're a worthwhile customer and they want to attract you or they want to attract your respect and your, your retweets. So you started being able to get free things because you were seen as an influencer. So all these, th all these things come together. I, I ended up buying like the rarest punk I could because I found a way to, I found the right contact, the right situation. Literally uh, an hour later, someone bought another one, even though they're only nine for a lot more than I'd bought mine for. The next day, Beeple sold an artwork for $69 million, which is insane. This is an NFT artwork. Beeple is a well-known NFT artist. And later that day, another alien, so this is the third one that was sold in, in 48 hours, even though there's only nine, also went for a lot more than I'd purchased mine for. I've, not, I've never divulged what I purchased mine for. So then I basically, I bought mine with the intention of just trying to do something interesting. Because uh, I've been in this space and writing about it for a long time, I just wanted to have some fun really and uh, see where we can go with it. And so I made it my avatar. I have a persona online anyway called Silly Tuna, and you know, I didn't do anything different. I was just continued to be me. <laughs> I'm not the type of person that does something different. Mm -hmm. uh, but other other punks and also tend to be closely associated with digital identities and, and personas. 
some of them become have gained value because of that persona and they're very well known within the crypto space uh, in, in fact two of the aliens have their own twitter accounts uh, and there's several other punks do as well you're actually even though you call yourself silly tuna which goes back to your your game development days I yes guess, um you're, you're you you're not an account that's set up specifically to be an identity for a crypto punk no but i did become what happened was i became synonymous with the alien very very quickly and that's how people knew me to the extent that when i did sell the alien which will come into in a sec i had to consider what my new avatar was because people knew my persona was the alien and actually i chose another crypto punk which was exactly the same traits as the alien except human and had vr glasses uh, so that was the main difference. My view of that was, well, we've gone from this COVID situation where I had an alien with a mask, which was very, very reminiscent of the, the times we're in. It, it, this, it was made before COVID, but it had a mask, to VR glasses. And I just see it as moving from the past to the future or from the present to the future. And I kind of have a, like a narrative around that. And that's my new persona. But in terms of the alien itself, I got the opportunity to uh, sell it through Sotheby's. As, the, as in the large auction house, because they were doing a big NFT sale, one of their first ones. And, with a, and it was being sold alongside a set of really interesting and very diverse artworks. Some were from artists who'd barely sold anything before. So they did a great job curating a fantastic set of artists, of all different types, some known, some unknown. And my alien was a key part of that sale. And it sold to an Israeli billionaire, or certainly some very rich Israeli, for $10 million uh, two weeks ago, which is nice. That's a result. <laughs> it was a good result. Like in total, from originally buying it to selling it, how long had you actually owned that alien for? I think I bought it back in March, it was probably early March. So it was quite a short time as it happens. But um, yeah, that, that's because I had a thesis around how they would, yeah. how they would go. And I, but I would happily have not sold it. I would happily have kept it for two or three years. It was just, I always want, I don't like to commit to whether it's one day or one year or that I'll keep something because then you kind of lock yourself in. I just wanted to do something interesting. And I've mm. been offered plenty of money before. I could probably, I couldn't in fact definitely have sold it for more. But the story was more interesting about putting another marker in the sand for NFTs was mm. much more interesting than me than just trying to maximize profit because I've done all right anyway. And so that that's what I did. Yeah, that um, wider narrative about you know COVID coming to an end and an, yeah. a new digital future beckoning in which we're all communicating you know through digital media rather than in person. I, I think also I think it's very important to point out that these big sales get all the news, but there's loads and loads of much smaller sales. And yeah. as NFTs mature and the technology gets easier to use, we'll see lots more things that are a dollar or ten cents or twenty cents, whatever happens to be, and really they'll, they'll work like CryptoPunks. CryptoPunks were free. When they first came out in two, mm -hmm. 2017, April 2017, I think, they were free. And the best NFTs for me that aren't just when it's some you know, artists who are really trying to sell up their work, a lot of them will end up being free and they'll be like, you know, a, a new band will come out and they'll give those NFTs uh, to their fans or they'll be part of, the, the ticket will also be an NFT. Then in a few years time when that band's really popular and famous, those original NFT owners, those original supporters, it would be like being part of the Kickstarter, except actually we're getting something more useful. And you do have a, a, an associated stake in the product or the band or the persona. That's where the NFTs will get interesting. And CryptoPunks are sort of like that. They were free, they were given away, they were just a digital experiment. Lava Labs never took any cut of CryptoPunk sales from their website ever. So you can, sell, you can buy and sell them free off their website. What they did was they kept some back. 
so that they could then sell them in the future if they were successful. And this is a very different approach from trying to maximize your revenues early on, as they would say, you know, trying to sell as many as you can, it's, which is what most commercial companies would do. It's what, what a lot of the game companies would traditionally do. And I still think to this day that that approach of building a community behind your product, much more important than trying to sell stuff. You, you, you'll, you'll find ways to sell things later if it, if it works, but build a community, build a, build a set of true fans, and then other things will work out. And there are loads of other collectible projects now, like hundreds and hundreds, because they appear every day. Of those, only a very small handful have got a measure of success. And what they have done well is they've, they've found a way to nurture a really good community behind it. And that community is not just a few weird crypto people, because we, we, we do have a strange community. That community this year has become much more diverse in terms of, its, in terms of the numbers of people, the age range. It's still a bit white male dominated or Asian male dominated, I have to say. Um, I'd like to see that change, but it is getting there and it, it's, it will take some time. So it's, it's, this whole area is, it's still very, very early stage. It will go through more of a lull over the next few months for sure, because there's mature, a lot of maturity to come and it's very reliant on the crypto market still. But I think you just have to look at the technology and where that can go. And in my view, as long as it doesn't get blocked off by regulation, which is a pain, I have to say, and as long as we can get more support from, from the likes of Apple and Google, because we like it or not, we do need some support from them, then consumers actually will be the ones that benefit. Because you, when you buy something, you will have more rights of ownership and you will have more uh, ability to use what you've bought, whether it's a piece of music or a gig ticket, yeah. or even, Kathy, a ticket for the Children's Media Festival. Firstly, you could have an art, artwork associated with those tickets. And so you could have done, done something with some digital artists and even have some higher value tickets with royalties going to the artists because people want those. Secondly, those tickets could be used in the future for something that you've negotiated with one of your sponsors or by another media firm or by a cinema. Because those tickets sit on a, on a they don't sit on your, on your web servers as a in a database where someone has to write specific systems to connect to you, which you'll never get them to do because they sit on something completely independent that in the future, cinema chains will just be able to access anyway. They will literally just be able to go, okay, well, you went to the children's media conference, We'll show commotion well you can definitely come and see this children's film for free this thursday that is the benefit of nfts that, that people do not realize it's that that compatibility and interoperability amongst all these different platforms that previously would never ever write something bespoke for the children's media festival yeah interesting thanks alex yeah we, it was interesting that you mentioned um insurance because we have been trying to get insurance for the playground um exhibition and uh, the insurers are saying but what 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 are you insuring? What you know? Is it the is it the laptop? Is it the screen? What? And we still haven't resolved it. They're still completely baffled by it. Well, I don't know if they can help with that one, but it's <laughs> but actually the, the, the I mean digital art insurance is a problem because I had to go through it with Sotheby's and no one was quite sure how to deal with it. Um, and in fact, even in terms of your exhibition, um, I mentioned that NFTs can be interactive, and we're starting to see some some interactive NFTs. Like, so one of the things I said about NFTs is we're going to see documentaries and films done as NFTs for a certain audience, especially very, very short ones. We're going to see short form interactive media done as NFTs, where, where previously they'd have been just seen as games where you could just buy any amount of copies. We're going to see game developers just make, create a hundred versions of it and sell them for, you know, auction them off uh, as, as collectibles and interactive. And we're, I've already got some friends that are doing this type of thing because previously this wasn't possible and you, did, and you didn't have an audience, but in the future you will. And it becomes a very interesting way to put things together. 
Um, so it's going, it is going to start cutting into ways people fundraise. It's going to start cutting into the way people sell and, and, and get sponsorship and so on. It's just, it'll just take a few years to find the right positioning for it. But I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that in, certainly in five, you know, five years time, but you know, five to 10 years time, that it, having NFTs associated with products will be quite common. Even if they're called something different, there'll be something around that's common. Mm. Uh, thanks for joining us, Alex. I was really interesting and uh, great to have you on and um, and good luck with it all. I mean, it sounds like it's uh, uh, been quite quite a journey so far, but yeah, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it affecting the publishing industry so that I can benefit greatly from my 10-year-old novel. No, thank you very much. I'm already, I'm already working with someone on books and illustrations for NFTs, but thank you very much. Good to be here. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, thanks, Kathy, for joining us. It was really interesting to uh, hear all about the the conference and um, uh, digital for a second year running. Um, I know as a as a punter, it's uh, being able to go to conferences conferences digitally has been amazing because a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in has usually been abroad. So, uh, be interesting to see what the what the future is and uh, for uh, the children's media conference. But thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for letting me come and uh, talk to everyone. And there we have it. As we've just said, big thank you to Alex and Kathy for giving us their time. And I hope you enjoyed listening to those conversations. I know that we did. It's good to be back. You can subscribe, of course, to the Sheffield Digital Podcast in all the most sensible of places. Apple Podcasts app is still very popular, but there are other places too these days, like, I don't know, Spotify or, I don't know, Google Podcasts. You might even have an app of your own that you like. You like Overcast, Castro, stuff like that. So do go along and subscribe. And of course, if you want to find out more about the podcast, you can go to the Sheffield Digital website. That's sheffield.digital slash podcast. And I think that's it. We'll be in touch very soon.